Take your Bible tonight, please, and turn to the Song of Solomon, uh, sometimes called Canticles, but usually in our Bible called the Song of Solomon. Uh, you find it a little bit past halfway through your Bible, Job, Psalm, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, uh, and then the Song of Solomon. Uh, the Song of Solomon, I, I mentioned this morning that I was going to do something that I've not done before, Lord willing, uh, and that is uh, to preach through the book of the Song of Solomon. Uh, I've preached about it a little bit. I've preached, I think, one message ever uh, from this book, and I, I, don't, I wouldn't say tonight it's because I'm afraid <laughs> to preach through the book. I hope that would not be the case. Uh, but there can be some difficulties. It does take some maturity uh, to read the book uh, as God's word and, and certainly a degree of maturity to preach it or teach it as well. Well, I believe this is the time that God would have us to examine this. It's a wonderful book. Uh, it's a wonderful book. Now, just a couple of introductory things and, and we'll, we'll get uh, into the book here uh, in, in a few, but um, why don't you stop for a second, just consider a few of the introductory things that will help us kind of place it in the context of, of Scripture, where it fits in the Bible, and so forth. Uh, the author, of course, is Solomon. If you look at uh, verse 1, uh, chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, which, which is Solomon's. So, uh, Solomon identifies himself as the penman. Now listen, as I always say, I'll take care at the beginning of this book to say Solomon's the penman. He's the writer that God has chosen to pen down these words, but they are God's words. Please keep that in mind, especially as we make our way through this book. These are God's words, and he has uh, a good and righteous purpose uh, for this book, and uh, of course we'll see that as we make our way through. Solomon is the penman. Uh, it's a poetry book. Uh, it, it's in this section of scripture, uh, the third section by the Jewish organization. Uh, it's poetry, and the book is, uh, it's a type of poetry, you could call it lyric or lyrical poetry, uh, lyric poetry, by definition, Brother Ray, deals with romantic themes. Uh, we'll, we'll examine the possibility tonight and continue to look at this, that it's sort of an extended metaphor or an allegory. And I want to be careful with that word and how we use it and, and how we use that type of interpretation of Scripture. Uh, we'll come back to that in a moment. We'll come back to that in a moment. You probably know tonight a little bit about the Song of Solomon already. Uh, perhaps, I, I hope you've read through it, uh, I hope you have, I've, I hope you've read through it, and, and if you have, you already know tonight that it is, oh, you could view it as a series of eight love letters, if you will. It is literally uh, a picture of a very romantic, very passionate uh, betrothal period and marriage. Uh, no question, that's what it literally is. It's a, it's a picture of a very intense, very passionate, uh, and yet very appropriate relationship uh, between a husband and a wife. So there's, there's nothing untoward or nothing immodest about the book at all. Even if we only viewed it as a, um, an ideal uh, godly marriage between a man and a woman, um, 
it would be very instructive for us. There's, there's, no, question, uh, there's no question about that. We, we struggle as husbands and wives to, uh, to have the kind of marriage that God desires and uh, perhaps to kind of have the passionate interest in each other that God has designed us to have and to continue to have. So uh, this is a book that perhaps would encourage uh, a romantic interest between a husband and wife. And again, in a literal sense, uh, I hope as we make our way through the book, it will accomplish that. Uh, that said, I would uh, suggest to you tonight that the book is even more than that. Uh, so there's two views of the book, two ways that the book is commonly interpreted. The first way is it's, it's a picture of marriage. It's a picture of an ideal betrothal period uh, followed by a marriage and a passionate, godly relationship uh, within the context of marriage, and that's all it is. The second view of the book, the way that it is uh, interpreted sometimes, is more of a, I'm going to say this, allegorical uh, approach. And this approach would view the relationship between this man and his wife uh, as the relationship between God and his people, uh, God and churches, uh, if you will. Now, I, I would say this, this is a book that was written first and foremost to Jewish believers. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll be careful to kind of place it uh, in context dispensationally, it was directed first and foremost to Jews, and we ought not to lose sight of that. This is, um, it, if we view the book through this lens, uh, it's, yes, in a general sense, it's a picture of God uh, and his passionate desire to have a close, intimate relationship with his people uh, and his interest in drawing us into that sort of relationship with him in a general sense. In a specific, literal sense, it would be with the Jewish people. And so you will, you will hear me along the way uh, make reference to those things that are particularly relevant to the Jewish people, uh, such as, such as the, the tribulation. Um, now, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider this. Normally, normally when we're dealing with uh, other parts of the Old Testament, be it the historical books like Judges that we're in on Wednesday nights now, or the prophetic books, um, I don't know that I, I have encouraged you like I should to not view those books allegorically. Don't view them as a poetic picture of something that, that it, the, the, the books are not. We understand, for example, that Genesis chapter 1 is literal history. It describes a literal six-day period uh, where God created all things. A more allegorical view would, would view the days as periods of time uh, that would permit enough time for evolution to occur. Uh, we reject that. We reject that. The, the historical books, the, the, the prophets, uh, much of the other poetry can be viewed very literally and if we view it as anything less than that, we begin to do harm to the clear intention of God in giving literal history uh, in those books. Uh, that said, we're in the poetry. We're in the poetry. And as we've seen so often in the psalm, God, God, in the Psalms, God does use poetic vices. He uses word pictures, metaphors, and similes. And um, God does, at times, sort of extend those word pictures out 
uh, into something more like an allegory. Uh, what's an allegory? Well, it's an extended metaphor. It's kind of a long version of, of one of those word pictures. Are you familiar with the Pilgrim's Progress? Do you know that book, John Bunyan's book from the 17th century? I meant to bring up a copy of it. Uh, my copy says The Pilgrim's Progress, and below that it says an allegory. And inside, uh, Bunyan gives kind of an introduction. He calls it an allegory, and we understand that The Pilgrim's Progress is, is just that. It's, a, it's an extended metaphor, an extended word picture that uses one man's literal trip uh, a little literal journey uh, throughout time into different places as a picture of his spiritual journey uh, from getting saved to becoming mature in Christ. It's an extended metaphor, uh, an extended metaphor that is an allegory, that is an allegory. Now, I want you to, to consider this. Um, does God not use an extended metaphor in scripture in describing uh, so often how he views his relationship with his people as a marriage. Uh, God has done this all throughout scripture. Uh, he has done this going back to, and I'll just give you some examples, back in the prophets in, in Isaiah, I said we ought to be literal there, and, and we should in the prophets, but God will, God will mix in allusions to kind of allegorical, metaphorical, allegorical things. In Isaiah 62, uh, God portrays his people uh, as uh, a, um, a bride, with, with he being the bridegroom. And the Lord does this as well in Ezekiel. The Lord pictures himself as a bridegroom and his people as a bride. You know, of course, that in Matthew 9, uh, Jesus pictures himself uh, as the bridegroom. In the Matthew 25 parable of the ten virgins, uh, the Lord pictures himself uh, as the bridegroom uh, and those who should desire and be prepared for his coming. Uh, Paul uses the language of marriage in 2 Corinthians 11 uh, to express his desire to be able to present the Corinthian church to the Lord, uh, the bridegroom, as a chaste virgin, virgin uh, one that had kept itself pure for the coming of Christ the bridegroom. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes to them, "'For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy.'" For I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. And then later on, a little bit later on, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is uh, relaying the Lord's instruction regarding marriage and avoiding divorce and remarriage. And in that, in that chapter, in that passage, of course, uh, he references uh, or, or, or portrays his relationship to his churches uh, as that of a bridegroom and a bride, the Lord being the bridegroom, his people being the bride. So uh, we see all the way through scripture, uh, the Lord has woven uh, this extended metaphor, an allegory, if you will, uh, picturing himself as the bridegroom and his people as the bride and his desire to enter into um, a, a very, 
uh, uh, the passionate, <laughs> very appropriate and righteous, but passionate relationship uh, with his people. Think about this, if you will. Uh, in Revelation 19 and verse 7, uh, that's where we see a reference to the marriage, the marriage, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Uh, where uh, metaphorically our relationship to the Lord will be consummated, like, like a literal marriage uh, in the Old Testament would be consummated at the time of the marriage supper, uh, with the relationship not being uh, viewed as, as, as uh, perfected, uh, the, the covenant not being perfectly perfected until that consummation uh, occurs. And this is poetic language. This is poetic language the Lord uses. Again, woven all the way throughout Scripture, uh, from the Old Testament, the prophets, uh, into the New Testament, the Gospels, uh, and then into the epistles, and finally the marriage supper in Revelation, God portrays, he pictures uh, his relationship to his people with this idea of this extended metaphor or an allegory. And so I would suggest to you tonight that uh, we may view the book uh, Song of Solomon's, Song of Solomon as being part of that, that tapestry the Lord has woven throughout Scripture. Now I want to say this. I believe that this is one of those rare places where we can benefit and where it's entirely appropriate uh, and I believe permitted of the Lord that we would view this book through two eyes, through both eyes, uh, through two separate lenses. Uh, one, it's a marriage. It, it's, it's a betrothal period and a marriage, and we can be instructed in a practical way regarding our own marriages. And I want us to do that. We can and, and we should uh, be instructed in that practical sense. But secondly, I want us to look through this other lens uh, of, of poetry, of poetic language, and see that it's pretty clear that God has more here uh, for the believer who would choose to see. Very clearly, this book fits within the context, the tapestry of God viewing his relationship with us as a marriage, uh, and particularly, um, particularly the Jewish people and how he, will, uh, how he will draw them into a relationship with him before history is done. So uh, I want us to agree tonight that we may view this book through both lenses uh, and benefit. Uh, some have, have taken a very firm position that it has to be one way uh, or the other way. And I just, I just don't feel that that is the Lord's desire. I don't feel the, the Holy Spirit is burdening me to, to choose a lens, uh, but rather to view the book through both lenses and to benefit uh, both ways. Now, you may ask yourself, well, that sounds okay, Pastor, maybe, but is there any other precedent in Scripture where the Lord clearly encourages us to view something uh, quite literally as well as perhaps metaphorically, poetically? And I made reference a few minutes ago to Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, in that book, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 25, uh, Paul, writing under inspiration, uh, relaying God's words, he commands, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, love your wives. And then he says this, even as Christ also loved the church 
and gave himself for it. So there you see the Lord giving very literal instruction to literal husbands regarding their relationship with their wife in the context of a real marriage and then comparing that to a bigger idea, the Lord's love for his people. In the New Testament, of course, it becomes uh, focused on the church or, or saved, baptized uh, church members. He loved us so much that he gave himself for us. And so, yes, I would say we do have a biblical precedent for the approach that I believe we should take in viewing this book. I think it's a rare case where it's appropriate to view a book through two lenses and try to benefit from it uh, in, in both ways. Uh, that will be our approach uh, throughout the book. Now, if that troubles you or uh, it doesn't trouble me, I believe the Lord's gave me peace about that. He's given me peace about that. But uh, if you struggle with that at all, I would love to hear from you. Let's talk about it. Uh, contact me any way you would like, and, and, and we can discuss that. But I, I think that given everything that I've shared with you in, the, in these few minutes, uh, we are on strong biblical footing to view this particular book through these two lenses. Now, that may take, make it take a little longer to get through it if we're going to kind of view it and apply it two ways. That's okay. That's okay. I believe that's exactly what God desires. And so that's exactly what we will do. Uh, let's pray, and then I would like to jump right into Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Let's pray, please. Father, thank you tonight for these thy words. Uh, Lord, I, I'm a husband, and, and I know I need to be reminded of your instruction for husbands. Uh, I pray all of the husbands in our church would have the same heart. Lord, teach us, instruct us. Uh, to be men who, who care deeply and passionately for our wives, who, who desire to have every type of relationship with them that you desire us to have. Lord, instruct wives uh, as well in, in the things of marriage. And, and, and Lord, uh, certainly help us to stay teachable uh, in this realm, no matter how long we've been married, no matter how old we may be. Uh, Lord, I understand that not everyone in our church is married or, or not yet married. And Father, I know here tonight there's instruction for them as they may uh, look ahead to marriage in the future. And Lord, whether or not that's, that is the case, uh, there is this other lens, this other lens, this wonderful picture of your love for us, your desire to, to draw us into an intimate, passionate relationship with you. Now, Lord, I, I pray just before we jump in now that if our relationship with you has become lukewarm, that we be reminded that you have no interest in that. Uh, you, that, that lukewarm believer is the one that you desire to spew uh, from your mouth as something undesirable and unpleasant. Father, we understand tonight we're at risk of, of drawing away from you and allowing our relationship with you to be quite lukewarm. Lord, if that's the case, show us that, convict us of that. And I pray as we uh, look through that second lens, uh, understanding the book to be a picture of your passionate love for us and your desire that we have a passionate love for you. Lord, would you kindle that fire in our hearts tonight? Would you rekindle that? 
Father, teach us to love you the way you love us as best we can. Lord, as, as best we can. Father, I love you tonight. Teach me to love you that much more. Uh, Lord, please help me now as we make our way into this book. I pray that it would be a great encouragement, a great encouragement. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Are you ready to jump in? Are you ready? Let's do just that. We've looked at uh, chapter 1, verse 1 already. Let's do it again quickly. The Song of Songs. This is the Song of Songs. It's lofty language and uh, an appropriate title for a book that gets pretty lofty and, and, and quite passionate, which is Solomon. So we understand this is David's son, uh, the same man who has penned Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, as we've said. Uh, God is using him uh, to pen this book. And um, I think here we, we'll, we'll find references to uh, literal aspects of Solomon's life. I think we can align the book with, with uh, the context of his life. Now, you understand Solomon had made mistakes uh, regarding marriage, uh, and the Lord had to teach him some things about his desire that we not uh, be in polygamous relationships, but uh, one monogamous relationship uh, in the context of a marriage is God's desire. We'll, we'll see this uh, quote-unquote Shulamite, as the wife is called in chapter 6. I'll refer to her that way from time to time, perhaps quite a bit. But uh, I think we'll, we'll see here that this is um, a literal allusion to Solomon's actual literal marriage. But again, we're going to view it through this second lens and see that God will use this to picture his love for us and the love that he desires that we would have for him. Well, see here first, please, the Shulamites love and desire for the king, uh, her king, who evidently uh, is Solomon. Uh, she, she writes, she says in verse 2, let him kiss me uh, with the kisses of his mouth. She says, for thy love, thy love is better than wine. This is the language of passion. Uh, this, is, this might make you blush, but, but don't blush. It's okay. Uh, this, this, is, this is in the context of a marriage or a relationship that is en route to being a marriage. Uh, and this is a relationship that is picturing God's desire for us and our desire for him or what should be uh, our desire for him. She says, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. Uh, that's pretty clearly, pretty evident. Uh, there, there's a great passion, a great desire here. Now think about a kiss. Uh, think about a kiss. Kiss is a wonderful thing, of course. Uh, it's a token of love. Uh, it's a token of adoration. Uh, someone said it can even be a token of subjection uh, for a wife entering into a marriage, kissing her husband, making that a, uh, not only a, a, a token of love and affection, but of godly biblical subjection. That'd be a good thing also. Uh, and perhaps all that is being alluded to here. Let him kiss me with the kisses uh, of his mouth. Uh, this no doubt... Uh, no, no doubt pictures literally her desire for the one who would be uh, her husband, but also we will say and take care to come back to this point is as clear already, I'm quite sure. Uh, she, there, there's an allusion to a picture of her great love for her Lord also. 
Uh, it's not a physical relationship, but it's being pictured poetically that way. Uh, this is the language of desire, and, and so the, the depth and the passion, the, the, the depth of desire and the passion of the desire that she has for her husband pictures a, uh, a wonderfully godly and very righteous desire uh, for a close, intimate relationship uh, with the Lord. Listen, I think this probably looks ahead uh, to the future, uh, it's probably specifically to the tribulation period where the Lord is going to use all of those trials and tribulations of that seven-year period, really the last half of that seven-year period, uh, to draw his people into any kind of a relationship with him. But what he really wants to accomplish, not just a relationship, but a close, burning, passionate uh, relationship with his people. Uh, the Lord desires to use the coming future tribulation period. Remember, we don't think we're going to be here. Thankfully, we are, we are already saved. They are not. They could be if they chose to, but the nation uh, still continues to reject Christ. That will change uh, for many in the tribulation. Here the Lord pictures uh, his desire that his people would have not just a casual interest and, uh, you know, uh, just a kind of a hum-ho relationship with him, but that there would be a burning desire to have a close, intimate relationship with the Lord. Uh, there's similar language in the Psalms. In Psalm 2 and verse 12, the Bible says, in the language of command, uh, kiss the sun, not the S-U-N, the S-O-N, and the S is capitalized, uh, that, that's an imperative. Kiss the sun, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Uh, the full verse, just the verse, just that one verse alone gives us enough context to know that that verse is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. God, the Son, the S-O-N, the one and only Son of God, God the Son. The commandment there, kiss the Son, is employing the same kind of uh, romantic language to portray the Lord's desire, dare we say his command, that we enter into not just a relationship, but a close, burning, intimate relationship with him that is not casual at all. Uh, if you're married tonight, do you remember when you first met your spouse? Brother Ray, do you remember when you first met your wife? Uh, I dare say you do. Uh, I dare, we've been married for a similar number of years, right? You have a, a, a anniversary coming up this week, right? Is it Thursday? It's sometime this week. When is it? Monday. It's tomorrow. I put up. Oh, next Monday. Forgive me. It's this month. <laughs> it's this month. You remember when you first met your wife? I, I dare say, uh, and forgive me if I'm embarrassing you. That is not my intention. I dare say that, that there was not a casual interest in her. Uh, I dare say that there was quite an interest in her, uh, one that kind of filled your head and filled your heart, and uh, you know you just couldn't stop thinking about her. It was the <laughs> young love is, is a wonderful, wonderful thing, and of course God has wired us to know that, to experience it, and and to respond to it in a godly way. Yeah. Within the confines of marriage, we must not lose sight of that. 
Um, that's the kind of interest the Lord desires that we continue to have in him, not letting those flames die down, uh, not letting the flames burn out. The Lord desires to kindle and rekindle and rekindle a burning interest in him. Kiss, kiss the sun. Uh, and to have the desire that uh, he would kiss us back. It's not inappropriate. It's wonderfully poetic language. In verse 3, she goes on, she poetically expresses her affection for the king, uh, proclaiming that his name, this is wonderful, it's interesting, proclaiming that his name is like an ointment uh, poured forth. Someone's saying, well, that sounds kind of gross. I, I don't like ointment. Ointment. Yeah, but can you stop and consider about um, what ointments were and how they were used in the Old Testament. That's where the historical context and some things that we can discover and, and learn help to inform our understanding uh, and interpretation. Uh, ointments were used um, for health reasons, uh, to, to heal, uh, to protect, uh, and also as perfumes. So they'd be very desirable. They'd be very precious. Uh, you know, we'll see references to some specific uh, ointments that we know uh, from the New Testament, uh, spikenard and myrrh and some other things. Uh, these were valuable. Uh, they were precious and because they were valuable. And they were precious and valuable because uh, they had a great purpose. Uh, in some sense, they were just pleasant, like perfume, but they also had real purpose also. Well, see the verse. I've said enough about it. Let's see what it says. Verse 3, she says, Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore, do the virgins love thee. Now, they're not married yet. Uh, the Shulamite and, and her king, they're not yet married. Uh, this would seem to be the, the beginning of a relationship. We'll see a mutual uh, expression of love. They're beginning down the road toward marriage. This, this might be uh, the beginning of a betrothal period, something like that. Uh, so you'll see her at this point in this stage express affection for him personally, uh, but also bring into the equation, hey, you know, there's others that love you too. You're, you're lovable <laughs> in a sense. Now, listen, in, in the sense of that second lens, this, this is entirely appropriate too. Uh, she's, she's coming uh, to her king as, as we come to Christ and say, Lord, I, I love you. I, I love everything about you. Uh, you're my Messiah, the anointed one. Uh, Lord, thank you for other people in my life and my church who love you. You know, when you're worshiping the Lord, you, you can do something like verse 3 here and say, I love you. Teach me to love you more. And boy, Lord, so many people love you as well. Now, he knows that, but uh, there's nothing wrong with bringing that into your prayer <laughs> equation uh, as you pray. See the language here. She says, thy name is as ointment poured forth, as ointment. She says, thy name. Isn't that interesting? Thy name is as ointment poured forth. Now, we understand that the Lord has much to say in Scripture about his name. And so, I, I, again, I think the, the opening verses kind of help to inform our understanding that this second lens that we're viewing the book through, it's, it's correct. It's not improper. Uh, there's, there's so many allusions to the Lord and uh, his name that uh, it just confirms that we do well to view the book through these two lenses, these two approaches 
approaches to uh, interpreting it. Uh, the Bible has much to say about God's name and uh, the pleasantness and wonder and, and power of it. Uh, of course, um, the Bible says uh, Jesus, forgive me, Jesus teaches in uh, his model prayer to, that we pray uh, after this manner, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Uh, love respected worshiped he's worshiping the lord and and there's an implication or an allusion to the desire that others would do the same uh, and and do in fact do the same not unlike the shulamite expressing her own love and alluding to the love of others as well um, there's a there's a uh, a wonderful respectful uh, love here and, and a, an honoring of, of the king's name. Uh, what does it say? Uh, because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth, therefore do the virgins love thee. You remember, and I've already said tonight, that, that Christ, Messiah, uh, those names and titles refer to the one who is anointed. And of course, the, the Old Testament anointing with oil, uh, or perhaps with ointments as well. It was a picture of anointing with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, of course, was anointed with the Spirit of God at his baptism and served in the strength in the anointing of the Spirit of God as an example to us. Don't ever forget that, please. The Lord Jesus Christ himself uh, served ministered during his earthly ministry in the strength and the anointing strength and power of the Spirit of God uh, as no doubt as an example uh, to us. The Shulamite comes here and, and she's adoring the king, uh, adoring him and, and his name uh, and his name. The psalmist did the same in, in the context of their worship. In Psalm 5, the Bible says, let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. This is a prayer. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them, Lord. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. Do you love the Lord? Do you love his name? His name, of course, refers to uh, his omnipotence and uh, his eternality, sort of those dual ideas combined. He exists because he exists. He is the I am. He is the I am. In Psalm 8, verse 1, uh, David prays, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hath set thy glory above the heavens. And so we see here um, a, a woman perhaps is adoring her future husband and um, communicating that in a not inappropriate way, but also picturing a worshipful adoration of the Lord and his name. The Lord desires that. He desires that his name be honored and glorified and held up uh, for all that it is is. Lord, help us to do just that. In Psalm 44 and verse 8, the Bible says, in God we boast all the day long and praise thy name. In Psalm 45, the psalmist uh, said, I will make thy name to be remembered. Lord, help us to be in that business. 
not just appreciating your name and, and worshiping you and uh, your name, but, but uh, making your name known and to people who do not yet know you, helping them to understand you and uh, the very meaning of your name and your names and your titles that teach so much about you. Let's move on, please. In verse 4, we see the Shulamite's desire, this young woman's desire that the king would draw her, uh, that the king would draw her close. Uh, The the illustration here is into the inner rooms uh, of his home. Now, uh, I don't think I've ever been in a castle. Zach, have we ever been in a castle? I don't think I have. I've seen uh, castles on television and sort of video tours through castles. And the inner rooms were the, the places where the closest guests would be invited into. Uh, if, if you did not have a close relationship with um, the, 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 the people who resided there, uh, you, you might be kept in an outer room. The inner rooms were more desirable. Uh, they were less drafty, perhaps, uh, they would be the more uh, ornate places, at, at times at least, uh, the more desirable places, and the, the place that was consistent with a greater, closer intimacy, uh, a closer relationship. Uh, she says in verse 4, draw me, draw me, we will run after thee. So there's still her and then the group of suitors, perhaps. Draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. Uh, the inner chambers would be the, the, the implication here, those inner rooms. We will be glad and rejoice in thee. We will remember thy love more than wine. Uh, the upright love thee. I neglected to say something about wine in, in the earlier verse. Let's not allow these verses to uh, have us to think that the Lord ever endorses using alcohol, um, just like an ointment would be pleasant uh, and, and, and healthful. Uh, non-alcoholic grape juice can be quite pleasant and also very healthful. So don't say, oh, look, I see these references to wine here. Must be God endorses drinking uh, wine. I don't want you to get that idea. I do not believe that's the case at all. Let's come back to the focus here. Uh, she is expressing a desire, not just an interest in him, but a desire that he would draw her close to him. Um, you know, you could view this maybe as a, an expression of interest in marriage. Some will say, well, I don't know if that's appropriate. Well, I don't know either, but here's uh, exactly something like that that we see here, I believe. She's literally expressing an interest in having a, a closer relationship with him. And I don't think that's inappropriate. Uh, I do not. Uh, for a young lady to give some indication that she was interested uh, in pursuing uh, a courtship period. That's not inappropriate at all, so long as that relationship remains within the boundaries uh, of the Bible. No physical intimacy prior to uh, marriage. Uh, There would be nothing untoward being pictured here at all, uh, just like a young lady today might express interest in courtship, uh, there's, there's a desire that's being expressed here. Draw me after thee. Uh, draw me, we will run after thee. Uh, the king hath brought me into his chamber. So there's an expression of interest uh, and a celebration that that expression of interest uh, has been uh, received positively uh, by, by the king. Now listen, um, 
how often have you prayed, Lord, draw me closer to you? Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever prayed that? What a wonderful prayer that would be to pray, especially tonight if you recognize that your walk with Christ has become somewhat lukewarm. I would say the answer to that tonight is first to confess that as sin. Lord, I have withdrawn from you. Lord, I know you've not gone anywhere, but I recognize I'm convicted tonight by these verses that picture uh, you know, the intimate desire uh, that, that you have to walk with us uh, and the intimate desire I should have to walk with you intimately. Uh, Lord, I, I've let that flame burn down a little bit too far, and, and my interest in you has been, it's not that it's not there, but it's become somewhat lukewarm. Lord, would you draw me close to you? How, how thrilling, <laughs> how rejoiced the Lord's heart would be tonight to hear a prayer like that. Uh, Lord, draw me, draw, draw me uh, to your chambers, your inner rooms. Uh, Lord, draw me in. What a great, what a great prayer that would be uh, to pray tonight. Uh, verse five is interesting. Uh, she goes on, she says, I am black, but comely. That word means lovely. Uh, o ye daughters of Jerusalem, as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. She says, look not upon me because I am black, because the sun uh, hath looked upon me. That's just interesting. Uh, it, it gives some insight into the, the character of this Shulamite woman uh, who is um, expressing, appropriately expressing interest uh, in the king uh, as, as a marriage partner. Um, she, she's expressing literally here, it would seem that, uh, you know what, I'm a hard worker. I'm outside working hard, uh, and, and I'm, all, I'm, I'm tan because of this. Uh, she says in, at the end of verse 6, or middle of verse 6, because the sun hath looked upon me. So it seemed to be the case that she's presenting herself as uh, someone who is able and willing to work hard, uh, at whatever work she's called to. And I think sort of presenting her credentials uh, to the king uh, that she desires perhaps to enter into a relationship with, I don't think there's anything wrong with that either. Uh, a young man should look for a young lady who desires to work hard, uh, who would desire to work hard in the home, who would desire to work hard in uh, raising and schooling their children, who would desire to work hard in ministering uh, in her church. There'd be nothing wrong with this at all, and nothing wrong with a young lady indicating to a potential husband, you know what? Um, I, I'm not afraid of hard work. And look, here's, here's my resume. Uh, for the Shulamite, it was her uh, skin tan, uh, her tanned skin, if you forgive me, uh, that, that be served as her resume in that regard. Now, there's another possibility here as we consider the second um, lens that we're looking through here. Some have, have suggested that uh, this... Uh, this tanning of her skin by the sun uh, is a picture of the difficulties that the unsaved Jews will, will uh, suffer during the tribulation. Uh, and that, um, 
it is, it is a consequence or the effect, that would be a better word, the effect of those difficulties that are being uh, poetically referred to here as a, a tan skin or maybe even a sunburn, uh, the effect of, of the difficulties that they have experienced that will draw them to uh, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that's a real possibility here. So again, we're taking care to view this uh, through those two lenses. Uh, the second half of verse six uh, becomes, I think, a little bit easier to understand in that later context as well. We know that during the tribulation, uh, especially, it's true today, but it'll be especially true during the tribulation, um, that the Lord will separate family members. Some will come to Christ in response to all the difficulties of the tribulation, and some will not. And the, the consequence in family relationships, uh, I believe the Bible shows us, will be especially hard uh, during the tribulation period. Of course, it can be hard now. Uh, it's one thing for a family member just to not understand your interest in Christ, your dedication to him. Uh, it's another thing for that to become quite an ugly thing or a wedge uh, in your relationship. She seems to allude to that sort of tribulation-like thing in the second part of verse 6. She says, My mother's children were angry with me. They kept me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyards uh, have I not kept. There's much more that we could say about that. I want to just keep moving on a little bit further tonight. We may come back to that, but I think you can see here in verse 7 that she is communicating that the difficulties that she has suffered along the way are fueling her desire to enter into this very appropriate, wonderful marriage uh, with this king that God has placed upon her heart. And again, you can't help but see how God is using this as an allusion to the tribulation when he will use difficulties to draw uh, Israel, to draw uh, Jewish people to himself. Look at verse 7. He says, tell me, sorry, she says, tell me, uh, O thou whom my soul loveth, where thou feedest the flocks. Um, where, where you feed what? His, his flocks. Uh, where thou makest thy flock to rest at noon. Uh, for why should I be as one that turneth aside uh, by the flock of thy companions? So uh, what perhaps is, is being uh, pictured here is uh, a, a time that is uh, harsh and difficult in a time when uh, a shepherd would move his flock uh, out of the difficulty of the sun uh, and into the shade, into a place of safety uh, and comfort. Um, this, this perhaps would be a strong allusion uh, to the difficulties of the tribulation and, and God using the sun, the burning heat of the difficulties of the tribulation period uh, to cause people, Jewish people in particular, uh, to desire to come into the shade of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to come under his wing, to, to come into his flock and be moved from the difficulty uh, to the shade where they could find comfort uh, in their relationship with the Lord. And uh, I believe that's, that's very much in picture here. Now go back to the first lens for a moment, and I think we'll close here. Um, go back to the first lens. Everything we just said, I believe, is true and, and, and is part of God's desire here. 
Um, but go back to the first lens. This is a marriage. It's marriage. Solomon had an interest in her. She had an interest in him. It's a marriage. Uh, she desired to be comforted by her husband in a time of difficulty. Uh, I believe that does portray the tribulation and the desire of, of tribulation saints to be comforted by the Lord. That's great. Come back to a literal marriage now. Husbands and wives should be a place of comfort. They should be a great comfort to one another. And, and listen, we, we should be willing to employ all that God has given us in the business of comforting one another. Uh, we have our mouths, our words. Uh, we can offer encouragement and comfort. We can offer God's words to one another. Do we do that enough? We, we probably do not. We have our bodies in the context of a marriage. Uh, a husband and wife are called to give their bodies to one another uh, as a comfort, a physical comfort. Um, and and that, that's part of God's desire. We, we know that from various other places that we've looked at and, uh, and could bring in tonight. Uh, husbands and wives should certainly seek to be a comfort to one another in any way that we possibly can. Not just companions, that is part of God's plan for marriage, but companions who are very much in the business of being a, a wonderful comfort um, spiritually, emotionally, physically to one another, being willing to invest ourselves uh, in any way that's needed to, to offer the comfort uh, that is needed. That is part of God's plan uh, for marriage. And it is a, a wonderful part of God's plan for marriage. Uh, in addition, as we've said, I'll say it once more and we'll stop here. I believe this is a picture. This is a picture of the comfort that God desires to offer to all of his people all of his people. Yes, the Jews in the tribulation will find comfort, especially in the millennium, but the Lord desires uh, to comfort all of his people. Isn't the Holy Spirit called the comforter? Uh, hasn't God used trials this side of the tribulation uh, to bring many of us to Christ? I can't necessarily say that. I was saved as a young person. I don't know that God necessarily used a great trial in my life. I don't believe he did, but but others among us have that uh, testimony. God used a, a really significant trial or two or three to get my attention, uh, to show me that there was a way from where I was uh, to a place of comfort in Christ. What a wonderful truth. When we come to Christ, our sins are forgiven and the burden of sin comes off. We're comforted by the Lord Jesus Christ immediately as the burden of sin comes off of us. We're comforted by the Spirit of God, the Comforter, the Comforter, uh, as he changes us and grows us um, and matures us in our walk with Christ. There is great comfort in a literal marriage and there is great comfort available to God's people in our relationship with the Lord, which he so often throughout scripture has pictured as a marriage. We'll stop there tonight and encourage you to read in this book. Uh, read in this book. Let it inform 
you and how you approach your spouse in your marriage. May I say this? If you've kind of let the passion in your marriage burn down, uh, I don't think it would be wrong to encourage you to allow this book and the, and the language that you find here of passion to encourage you to say, Lord, would you rekindle that kind of passion in my marriage? That would be wonderful. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll be greatly helped in that regard, and uh, you may find a greater comfort in your marriage as you, as you pray that. So please uh, allow God to work in your heart through that first lens. But then also please be reminded this plainly is a picture of God's love for us and the love that he desires that we would return to him. If the flames of, of passion and, and love that you have for the Lord have died down, if you've allowed that to burn down uh, to an unhealthy place, to a place that falls short of what we see in this book, uh, I want to encourage us again, pray, Lord, rekindle, rekindle the flame. Um, my love, my interest, my passion for you. Lord, there's so many things that can uh, sap our passion. Uh, Lord, help me to, to draw that back and, and to invest that in you. Let's stop there and pray. Father, I thank you tonight for this book. It is, it is wonderful. <laughs> I'm thankful for it. Lord, I, I pray tonight that it would be an encouragement to us in all the ways that we have discussed. We've, we've just begun to dug in, dig in here tonight, Lord, as you know, certainly. But I pray that we have laid um, the groundwork here for a careful search and investigation of these thy words. Lord, I, I pray people would take this book up and read it and reread it. Uh, and be encouraged by it. Lord, I pray tonight that if we need to take a moment and confess, Lord, we've become lukewarm, uh, people will do that even now. In this moment, Lord, I pray we would confess, Father, I've, I've allowed my, my walk with my Savior to become lukewarm. Help me to, to put that off. Lord, would you stoke up the flames uh, of my interest in you, my love for you, my desire for you, my, my desire to walk closely and intimately with you. Lord, would you rekindle the flame in my heart for you even now? Father, accomplish that in each of our hearts, please. Lord, I love you. I thank you now, and I pray all of this in Jesus' name.